You're listening to The Lost Art of Liner Notes, a podcast by Rumble Yard. You can find more episodes of this show by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Recently, we invited Tall Heights into our studio to talk about making their new album, Pretty Colors for Your Actions. Hi, I'm Paul, this is Tim, and uh, we're Tall Heights. We, um, we got started as street performers in 2010 in Boston. Uh, we were playing out in uh, Faneuil Hall Marketplace for uh, hours and hours and hours, just hitting it every day. Well, the story, the story goes that, and this is something back before we were signed, before we had any like team around us at all, we were just kind of telling people what we're up to and one time one of us said that we busked for like 100 days to fund our first recordings uh which was something that a lot of the early press hits of our career kind of like grabbed onto this like they bust for 100 days to fund their first recordings and uh we thought that was so funny because we never like meant that to be our angle or whatever and i guess that was our first lesson in pr stuff and that people just grasp onto the thing uh and the reason why we're laughing though is because it's such an understatement like we were busking for way more than 100 days and we were funding way more than our earliest recordings it was like we were we were um paying our rent and our utility bills and and uh, of course, the recordings as well. But we weren't even paying for recordings because we were just doing it in this tiny little room in my apartment in Somerville, Mass. And so um, it's just a funny little thing. So yeah, we started uh, recording and, and writing and playing out there in the streets. And, and eventually, we just sort of like realized that we had something to offer up. Or, or maybe we didn't realize it in any other way than just we, we were emboldened by hours and hours of practice or something. And so we started um, touring around and, and one thing led to the next and another record came. And again, still before we were signed, we put this single out and we were driving out into the Midwest for a tour and things were going really poorly in our career, I'd say, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, morale was low. Morale was low. We were driving through Indiana I love the people of Indiana, but driving through that state really gets me down. Uh, so we uh, we were driving, feeling kind of bad about our career and and sad and sad bastards listening to sad music and hoping our our single might do something out there. And we started getting all these texts that it was on the global viral fifty list on Spotify. And so we were like, oh my god, this is this, that, that that can't be true. <laughs> that doesn't sound like us. And so it was true. And our single Spirit Cold that we independently put out was like in the process of going crazy viral on Spotify. That was that was a real big moment. That was a a, a cool car ride that we were that we participated in where we were just like, oh my gosh. And so yeah, within within a few months from that we were in a much different place career-wise. Yeah, before we were making records together, we were um, just sending song ideas to each other back and forth. And so we'd kind of been building up all these new song ideas after putting out the last record, Neptune. So they're they're just like sitting in our inbox the same way they were when we first got started, like 
Tim sends me an idea one morning and I'm sending him another idea. And then, you know, at a certain point we sat down and, and started coming through all the ideas. And um, we were really excited about all the new material we had. You know, I think it's a re- it was a reaction in part to the record we had just made. We're always sort of looking to do something new and exciting. Whereas the last record had um, a lot of electronic samples, we were sort of delving into non-acoustic sounds for the first time in our recording career, which is really exciting. On this record, we were looking to make something that felt more alive and felt like a, a real breathing recording with parts that tracked from start to finish on a song. Yeah, I, th- I think a, just a fundamental difference between Pretty Colors and Neptune is we had a drummer the whole time. Like we, the, whereas we made Neptune, just the two of us in a studio, just like with a couple of friends who were producers, beautiful, creative people. But like, fr- it was a friend relationship, kind of like everybody's in, in the trenches of creation. And it was kind of a nerdy in the box, like, oh, let's get on the computer and create this album kind of thing, which is different from how we created Pretty Colors. And, and I agree with Paul that, that it was inspiring to be creating Neptune when we created it, but we didn't want to do that again. Yeah, well, Actually, the first track on the album is not like it was, which we can totally yeah. talk about. This is, um, it's the oldest song in terms of like when we wrote right. it, right? And it's the only one that we were like playing live for some reason for a long time before we tracked it. Yeah, yeah, we played that one on the European tour in the summer of 2017. We felt that this song, not like it was, felt like a good festival rock song. Right. So, and we were going to play some festivals, so... And it was easy to get off the ground. Yeah, and uh, so we made a generic shitty festival song out of it. And then months and months later, we were in the studio, and we didn't know what to do with it because it was just a generic festival song. So then we had like that last day of the first session in the studio, we're trying to figure out what song to do. Had the extra guys in the studio. We're like, okay, like how can we do something fun and productive? And we got everybody singing in the room. So Oliver Hill, our producer, had some some friends in town to see catch that grizzly bear show that night. And so they popped in to see how we were doing. And uh, while they were there, Oliver was like, well, we should do something. So we started making this vocal arrangement for Not Like It Was and just sort of building it out like a like an acapella song. And, uh, and then we lined up five microphones right in a row, and all of us went in there and just tracked it live, you know, very much targeting that Fleetwood Mac sort of live in-studio vocal sound. Yeah, that was, that was really fun. And then the cool thing is that the... The two people who were in the room with us that day, who we just met for the first time, Colson Picard and Ian Romer, that's R-O-M-E-R, are going to be the bassist and the Wizard Man on the Pretty Colors tour. Wizard Man, Colson, um, he knows how to do everything. He can just, like, play every instrument, and if he doesn't know how to play it yet, he can just learn it pretty quickly. So that that was a big moment, kind of meeting those guys and meeting our feet, the band that would go on tour and release that that record with us. Right. Thanks, Grizzly Bear. Yeah, they missed the Grizzly Bear show because uh, we were recording all day. Yeah. 
Sitting in the darkest side I'm just a mirror I'm afraid of the slowly climb Also, just to fill in all the names, Paul Dumas is our drummer. He's the drummer who's there in the studio with us the whole time. One amazing memory I have of Paul is White Frost. We wanted that song to have both this airtight electro vibe, but also have a real human touch to it in the way that all those Michael Jackson songs that we were listening to has. It's just you you hear something and it's a performance. It's a real human performance, but it goes in your head to becoming something impossibly larger than life because it's so precise and it's so beautiful. And we were really thinking about those kinds of parts. Radiohead does that a lot too. And that's kind of part of the whole ethos behind Pretty Colors is how can we create something that's very human but also larger than life? And the way that kind of digital samples and digital things, playing with ones and zeros, that sort of manipulation is kind of like a cheat code of making something seem bigger than it is. But actually the best way to make it seem bigger is to go real small and make it precise. So we were tracking White Frost and we meticulously mapped out this electronic drums groove through the whole song. And then we sent him in to play as a human with that perfect electronic drum part in his head. And he just had to be perfect because anytime he was out, it was, uh, it, you could hear it. it, cause it, it but he also needed to be human. He needed to have a, a vibe and a groove to him, to his playing. And so he was in this tiny little isolation booth. We had, he had a hi-hat, a snare, and a kick drum. And it, it was just such an intricate pattern. It's the, it's the beat that's there in the song. And he was so focused, but he was he just was so groovy. He had such a he he was really like embodying the song and I was really inspired watching him do that part for sure. And you can hear the you can hear when the human drums kick in, it's the first chorus. It's your touch, it's your touch, it's you. So then once that first chorus hits, you hear that hi-hat pattern and the snare groove and, the, and a new kick. So you've got like the real kick and then some electronic kick sounds. And um, you hear all that interacting and you realize like this is truly man versus machine. And uh, it's crazy. It's super, super cool to, to watch him do that. Another song that really evolved in the studio and I think became one of our favorites is Gold. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's. I'm not sure it's my favorite anymore, but it, it was the front runner forever. Yeah. Like since I, I remember saying after we recorded that one, this is my favorite one. Right, and, I, right. and I knew that before we finished the others. Right. <laughs> some, some tracks are a labor of love and some are just pure joy. Yeah, that one was joyful. I remember the demo that we had created, the little garage demo, was sort of soulless. I, I, I didn't feel that way about the early version. I liked I liked where we were heading, but I it wasn't as good as where we ended up. It, yeah. it was um, it was groovy. It had more groove. Certainly, it wasn't destined to become like the hush hush, like love song on the record on the on the B side of the album. Um, sure, right. I maybe it wasn't soulless. I just remember that like every time we played it, we like get through a chorus. It'd be like it didn't like take us anywhere. Like, I, yeah, okay. totally. Yeah, kind of, 
<laughs> it reminded me, I guess like in hindsight, it reminds me a little bit of an Adele song. And then it's got like a soaring chorus that I don't connect with. <laughs> <laughs> you take that back. Uh, stri- let the record... <laughs> Let the record stand. I, I mean what I say. Yeah, so then we sat down with the acoustic guitar and uh, and Oliver, producer, and made that chorus something that was much more emotional. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a hymn, I think, right. now. Uh, the chord shapes that we worked out together, Oliver was really, really brilliant in that regard. Um, I think really push it into sort of almost a spiritual realm, uh, not in a religious way but just like in a in a experiential way right in the way that i think at its best spirit cold does and then in the middle of tracking right it starts raining outside what is this like early spring or something we were doing this Mm -hmm. it's like beautiful spring rain stuck those microphones out under the uh overhang captured some rain sounds putting the rain there was a was a move that i didn't expect us to do but i knew that it was the right call because it was happening. There right. was it was raining, and we were we were all pretty tired and ready to record a a bedroom love song kind of thing. And um, and so yeah, we opened the doors and we threw those microphones and captured the rain. And and uh, I love the beginning of that song. It comes in the in the album. It comes straight out of um, Redbird, mm-hmm. um, which has a really sudden stop. And we purposefully wanted it just to flow straight out of that sudden stop into this this ri- rising spring rain. listening to Tall Heights on the Lost Art of Liner Notes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out Tall Heights' new album, Pretty Colors for Your Actions, on iTunes or Spotify. I also remember we were having trouble with that vocal part uh, because we had never sung it before as a brand new song to us. And we were trying to, as always, trying to like really fuse the, the, the vocal tone. And there was a lot of breath management issues, which right. to me I can totally still hear in the performance on the record. Like you can hear me coming around the corner for a line and just like just squeaking it out right. just to get through the, that line because I didn't ha- know how to breathe through that song because it was like the first day we were ever singing it. But I, but I think a real revelation happened in that last chorus when after fighting the good fight, doing all these takes and punching this and punching that, we went in and we did the, we did a whole take and the last chorus was a complete keeper. Like we, uh, we did it and we knew it. We looked at each other. We knew it was finished. We looked into the control room. Everybody was giving thumbs up. We went in we listened to it and we didn't touch it. Right. I remember it was such a new vocal part for both of us. And it was like end of a long day. We're like, you know, trying, trying to get it. And we had, drummer paul in there in the studio like he it wasn't actually all that helpful but he's like trying to like you know guide me up and down the scale cutting and a, do the cutting, cutoffs yeah he was right. cutting us off at right. the end of words because we didn't want to have like the s of a lot we didn't want me to say yes and then his s happens after we wanted to wrap him up at the same time and that's something that we on the road just usually find ourselves to to working out like we'll be tight enough 
by just playing it. But since it was so new to us, we needed help just cutting off at the end of lines and stuff at the same time. Were there any moments in the studio when you guys were putting together the record that were like, you, you were worried that maybe the album wasn't coming together the way that you guys wanted it to? Or did you find that the, this album kind of came together pretty Oh, well? my gosh. Like every second of the whole process is an, is a moment where you're worried that the record's not gonna go, isn't gonna do what you, you're putting so much of what you are and it's so concentrated of an experience being in the studio. And you're this close to the canvas, you know, it's like the, you're painting from that far away and then you're like, when you back up and you look at that canvas, you're like, oh, I hope this looks okay. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a very vulnerable place. Um, and we all deal with it differently. Something that I think was really helpful is we had my dog in the studio the whole time. So you could see each of us at different times going up to Copper and give it, like just getting a face full of dog fur and uh, kind of just like replenishing your soul a little bit. He was, he, was like a, he was like our therapy dog through the whole thing because it, it is so intense. I mean, it's just the pinnacle of what we want to do. And it's the moment. It's, it's like a, Jeff Bridges, the actor, I, I read that he talks about the artistic experience in, in terms of a snake. And so like there's the moment where the snake is, is present and then what he leaves behind is his skin. And like the album, the thing you listen to, that's the skin. That's the that's the uh, the proof that it happened. But the moment that matters is the moment when the snake is there and in the when we're all in the room creating. It's not about the product. It's about this moment. It's about being here and caring in this way and, and applying yourself in that way and making sure you're prepared and and uh, discerning, making really important decisions at like a clip of 100 per minute, you know. So it's such a concentrated and important moment that it's so hard not to just put a lot of pressure on it in a way that's so, for me, so rewarding and beautiful. Uh, but also it, it comes at a, at a cost in that you, you find yourself sad and like tearful sometimes and angry. And, but it's worth it because it's so, such an awesome process. It's so tangible and experiential and meaningful. And in the end, you finish this thing that took like in this case a year and a half two years of our life to create and finish and when the final when it's done and you and you get a little distance on it it's just like it's perfect i mean it's what it's so why i do this i think the healthy perspective in studio is you know like when we're at our best we're not worrying about our individual performances and we're just invested in like the product like how is the track coming out and if like i can't sing something the right you know cello is not right for the song then fuck it like let's figure something else out and just serving the song is helpful especially considering at least where we came from and probably where most young artists come from when they're like getting into the studio for the first time and trying to commit to tape the thing that they do and it's like okay i gotta achieve the best performance of this and you get all shaky and tight and and really the creation of of an album should be a much more thoughtful and experimental process that's detached from individual or group performance in any any given moment so maybe you know you get over that hurdle day by day or one day is better than the other but then there's sort of the larger looming picture that um, maybe you're not thinking about when you're a young artist getting started but as you made a few records and you're if you've gotten a little bit more discerning and you're thinking about what kind of record you want to make there's that other stressor of is this is this the thing is it beautiful is it exciting and that that's a, a stress that kind of 
waxes and wanes as the process goes on. You have day one on a new track and you're feeling so excited and it's great. And then five days later, you're like listening back to other, you know, a few tracks you've already worked on. And um, up until the very end, even as, you know, certain tracks are getting dropped and the order is starting to come together, nothing's even mixed yet, but you're just sort of starting to do more listening to what are sounding like more finished tracks in the studio. Um, there's that question of, does it achieve what we set out to make artistically and does it fulfill the vision? Yeah, I know we had a couple of like second to last night of tracking freakouts about that. And I think ultimately they were they were just the the result of like studio head, like just being in there under the microscope for a little too long. I think we've gotten a lot better at that second goal of zooming out artistically and making sure we're assembling the record that we wanted to make. Well, Paul, I'm really excited about the next few months that we got in store for us. I think it's going to be a really good time being out on the road across the country on our first, on our really our first national headlining push in a sort of like linear, concentrated fashion. I think that's going to be really rewarding to be out there and finally playing in front of all those people. Uh, it's been so long since we have played for crowds that are our own. And uh, I'm so excited to drop this record with you and get out there on the road. Yeah, uh, pretty colors for your actions. Here we go. Where did you learn to scream? Where did you learn to fight? When you sang of August, I knew it wasn't August. I knew a better way. It really cuts the night. And what you never see. Huge thanks to Tall Heights for being our guest. You can visit tallheights.com to find out more about their new album, Pretty Colors for Your Actions, available now. This episode was produced by Lee Stimmel, Mark Grandy, Nicole Heyman, and me, Matthew Billy. Special thanks to Simon Marcus of Pippa and Sony Masterworks. The Lost Art of Liner Notes is a Rumble Yard production. You can find more episodes by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Rumble Yard is a division of Sony Music Entertainment, For more information, please visit rumbleyard.com. Thanks for listening.